Welcome to the Parenting in the Digital Age podcast. Many parents are concerned that their child might be falling behind. Others are just looking for ways to help their children thrive, not just in the classroom, but socially and well into their future careers. Each episode, we explore the challenges facing parents in the modern world, from behavior, education, and nutrition to device and gaming addiction. We interview a range of leaders in the area of childhood development to help you successfully navigate parenting in the digital age. Here is your host, Jamie Buttigieg. Hello, parents, and welcome to Parenting in the Digital Age, where we explore the challenges and opportunities of raising kids in a world filled with technology. Today, we have a very special guest with us, Lomit Patel, the Chief Growth Officer of Tinker, the world's leading edtech platform that has helped more than 60 million kids learn to code. With over 20 years of experience in the tech industry, Lomit has played a critical role in scaling growth for startups like Roku, Trusted ID, Texture, and IMVU. He's a parent, a public speaker, author, and advisor with a wealth of knowledge on the use of AI and automation in startups, as well as mobile technology marketing. Now, on today's podcast, we'll be talking about a topic that's very near and dear to my heart, and that is STEM education. Uh, as well as exploring how artificial intelligence will be empowering students in the classrooms of the future. Lomit, it's my absolute honour and pleasure to welcome you to the show. Um, Please share with our listeners in your own words what you do and what you are passionate about. Well, first of all, Jamie, thanks for having me on the show. Excited to be be here. And, uh, yeah, just to to let uh, the listeners know about, you know, kind of my my core focus... um, not, not only I just tinker, but for the last 20 years, I've worked with a number of different startups, and my, my role is pretty much all around growth, but it really encompasses, you know, once, once a product has a product or service, you know, how do you kind of take that and, and really scale that growth and, and, and turn that product into a, uh, a billion-dollar valued business? And so um, my role encompasses everything around how we acquire customers, how we retain how we engage customers, and more importantly, how do we monetize those customers? So once you once you once you uh, build a business that has millions of users, how are you able to figure out the right business model around those customers? Indeed, that's uh, quite a, a big scope. Um, one of the things that uh, I guess we're both fairly passionate about is STEM education. You are an outspoken advocate for STEM education. Um, yeah, especially inspiring students with Tinker and beyond. Uh, what, in, in your view, or, or how, I should say, in your view, can the education system do better? And follow that up with perhaps what excites you about STEM education at the moment? Yeah, so um, a big reason for me being really passionate around STEM is because I've obviously, you know, work, work in tech uh, and uh, I've pretty much seen, you know, the whole evolution around where the future of work is going. And, and, and a lot of the jobs are really going to – it's all around automation and AI is playing a big role in that. And so, you know, uh, ultimately, uh, I think all of us are consumers of tech in some way, shape or form, whether, you know, we – Spend time on our mobile devices, or you know, any 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 anything that we interact with is pretty much written by some line of code. And so, ultimately, what I'm passionate about is really getting kids really excited around not just being consumers of technology, but really understanding how it's all made. And so, you know, whether you end up growing up to become 
a, a, a coder or not, it's always helpful for everyone to really understand how technology is made and how and how coding plays a role in 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 empowering a lot of that. And and so, in that um, because of that, plus, I would say my greatest title is being dad. Just like you know, being a parent and. Uh, you know, one thing that really you know excites me is just how quickly my kids and and a lot of their friends are really able to pick up a lot of this technology. But the big difference really comes down to you know they were exposed to this growing up in the environment and the schools that they go to, and there's a huge difference between schools where this is offered versus schools where this isn't. And so, you know, for me and and, and our big mission at Tinker is really to, to democratize access to uh, to STEM education, and we know that coding plays a key role in that. And so, the way I see schools, and I, and I'm primarily talking about the school system in the in the United States, you know, you know, it's not really offered as a core subject in in most schools. And so, ultimately, what happens is th there's a subset of kids that are really growing up on this technology and have that advantage over kids that don't. And so what what I would love to see and what, you know, what Tinker really believes in, and, and, I'm, and I think it's not just for the U.S., but for the entire world, it's to expose as many kids as possible to, uh, to STEM education and, and really get them to really learn about the fun ways of how coding works. Because, you know, coding is pretty much like learning any other language in the sense that if you get exposed to it early and you make it fun, then kids are more likely to kind of stick with it. And, and the more they stick with it, just like with anything else, you'll get better at it. So, and, you know, I feel no matter what happens in the world, there's always things that kind of connect us in, you know, learning, you know, learning STEM could be a universal language that whether you live in Sydney or you live in San Francisco or Singapore could be something that connects the community of of people all around the world. Yeah, you're right, Loman. And, you know, it, coding itself has so much positive impact um, just in terms of helping kids build those uh, neural pathways, building problem-solving skills, and that helps them across a broad range of subject areas, you know, not just STEM, um, which is really important. So you talk about schools having, uh, you know, coding uh, or, or increasing focus on coding and some that don't. What do you think is the barrier there? What's stopping schools? Is it knowledge? Is it, uh, uh, you know, uh, money, uh, knowledge perhaps? What's your view on that? So my, my view is, I mean, I feel, you know, at least in terms of knowledge, there, there's enough studies that have been done now so people know the value of, of having coding as being part of the core curriculum. But, but I think the bigger challenge is it's less about the knowledge at this stage, but it's more around the funding. And, 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 and it always, Jamie, always comes down to the money at the end of the day, right? <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. And, and so, and, and so, you know, at, at least from 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 the conversations that I have with a lot of educators, I think it really can, you know, you know, it's it's it really, as with anything in life, it really depends on 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 how the incentives are set up, right? And if and and if the school system puts certain subjects as being the core subjects, whether it's like reading and math, uh, uh, and and uh, or learning a second language. And those are the ones that get the funding. Then the schools are going to over-index on providing that in the curriculum to ensure they get the funding from the different sources. And 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 so I feel it really just comes down to uh, 
to really make encoding to become a core part of the curriculum. And that will really remove a lot of the, uh, the, the conflicts around whether we should be investing in this subject versus that subject. And it will just become part of that. And, and so, you know, then, then, then it's less about the schools needing to make these trade-offs, you know, internally. Yeah, and that's really what it does come down to. It's, it's that combination of trade-off and also, um, and I'll speak for Australia as well, we, we see, you know, government has its KPIs and, uh, you know, they are focused, as you said, on, you know, literacy and numeracy uh, for the most part. And uh, so if that's the government's focus and that's what schools are getting measured and tested against, then the, the, the kids are learning to prep for those tests. Uh, and then so some of these other subjects, which could be as equally as important, are getting left by the wayside. Um, now, I want to switch directions for a second, just talk about your book. You've written a best-selling book on lean AI, and there's a lot of mainstream discussion recently about ChatGPT, um, Google's Bard. Um, but, you know, firstly, can you tell us a bit about your book? Uh, and then perhaps I'd like to explore your thoughts on how AI uh, might impact the future of education in the classroom. Sure. Um, so lean AI... Um, uh the, the book that I wrote, um, it's part of the, the Eric Ries, the Lean Startup series. So it's part of that best-selling series. And um, the, the book pretty much talks about, and, and I really wrote it from a business standpoint on how AI is used to really grow a business, primarily a startup business. And so it really talks about different use cases around how you can leverage AI to really enable you to get better, faster, and smarter about really using your customer uh, data because there's so much data that we have on, 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 on customers, but data by itself isn't really that valuable. It only gets value if you can really draw insights out of that data as quickly as possible to really figure out who's the best customers that you should be targeting across different channels, whether you're, you're, you're doing paid advertising on Google or Facebook or, or other channels out there. And then, you know, use that data to really uh, figure out what's the best personalized messages you can use to really relate to those um, different uh, audiences that you're targeting and, and what are the right personalized experiences that you need to try and offer on your product or service when, when users come in so that they are able to, uh, to see the value as quickly as possible on, on, on what you're offering. And so, you know, the book really goes into, in, in, into a lot more details in, into how startup businesses can do that. But it's really um, related to more than just startups because any business, I mean, this book came out a uh, couple of years ago, but, you know, I still get so many people call, you know, reaching out to me because, because, you know, what started off with startups has been applied to many different industries now. And, you know, I feel especially now with uh, things like chat GBT, that's just another extension of how AI is just becoming part of more more part of our mainstream culture, as far as you know, businesses for the most part are getting swallowed up with all of this data, and it's really hard to just have you know people and armies of people trying to figure out the meaning. So you have to sort of leverage technology, and that's where AI really does do a good job to really help you understand that. And, and, and ultimately, you know, for me, the way I see uh, the future of education and where, you know, AI is really being uh, applied and will get applied, it, it's ultimately going to be able to, uh, you know, um, help us create better outcomes for our students by really personalizing learning. Um, and, you know, I feel, you know, for the most part, the way the education is, is sort of set up, it's sort of set up to really um, cater to people in the middle. 
which is the mainstream, and, and, and it really isolates people that are either on either fringes of either being gifted or, or needing needing some extra help. And and so, you know, I feel AI will be able to, to really augment the, the support that teachers get because it's really hard. That's a really hard job to do. And I feel, you know, AI is, is really the same sort of tools that we a lot of companies use in businesses to really give those tools to teachers to really enable them to be able to provide better personalized lesson plans and, and, and really achieve better outcomes for each individual student as opposed to just catering to the middle. Yeah, I think you're dead right. I made a few notes before the show, but you know, in addition to that personalized and perhaps adaptive learning, um, you know, there's it, even things uh, like tasks such as marking and grading, you know, that, that consumes so much of an educator's time. Like imagine if AI can take a lot of that off their plate, uh, it would free up educators to create more personalized, in-person practical experiences for those uh, better learning outcomes. And um, you know, e even to the point of being able to predict performance, you know, perhaps there's a day when maybe it's not too far away uh, when we're able to, and, and the, abil the ability to predict the student's performance or how they're going to perform in a future test, okay, rather than just testing and say, well, okay, it's kind of a lag measure. We're looking at the test result going, well, okay, we better do something about that now. But having AI, um, uh, you know, help educators be able to predict the future outcome allows us to get early intervention and allows us to get to those student outcomes before they become a problem, uh, uh, potentially. Uh, you know, there may even be a world where perhaps organisations in the hunt for talent uh, are making job offers to kids in grade nine because of this predictive element. Uh, you know, who knows where it can go, but there are some uh, exciting and promising um, uh, outcomes there. So with, with that, uh, actually, I want to go back a step. Before I ask my next question about risks of AI in the classroom, uh, you talked about uh, the lean startup and using AI for, um, for growth and uh, for personalising messaging and so forth. Give me a practical sense of what that looked like, say, in Tinker. So for those people, parents who are listening to the podcast who are perhaps business owners, and I know I'm taking a bit of a tangent here, um, uh, those parents who are business owners, you know, what, what would that look like in a practical sense? What does that actually mean? Yeah, so um, I, I can give you two use cases uh, where, where, we, where we try to apply AI um, for helping us to grow the business. One is around, um, it, you know, you know we, we have a budget, like an advertising budget. And, and ultimately, our goal from the advertising budget is to really get the best return on investment for that budget. And so the way to do that, it ultimately comes down to running as many experiments as you can to really figure out, you know, what's the best users to target on, on, on different platforms like Google and Facebook and, and what's the right messages that really resonate to enable us to get the best um, conversion rates to bring those users into our platform. And and that's where we use AI for the most part, where, where we run these different ads, but we create these sort of where, where ideally what we want to try to do is create templates and where we're testing different headlines and different images and different call to actions. And all of this is really happening asynchronously uh, where, where, where the AI is really looking at different audiences and, and they're trying to predict exactly what you had talked about, Jamie, in terms of like, you know, other users that have come from, from these audiences, how did they react previously? And they try to create um, and predict out what's the best um experience on the ad to show them at this given point 
that will get the best outcome, which for us is to try and um, drive the most efficient traffic to to our website and our app. And so that's that's one thing, which ultimately um, the, the more experiments that we run, the better we've been able to reduce our costs to acquire customers. And then the second use case, uh, which is very similar to um, what you'd mentioned in schools, um, is you know once you bring these users in, there's there's, there's different parts of our product that really appeals to them, um, whether we're targeting parents or we're targeting teachers for the most part. Cause, uh, and and so, the, so the messages we want to use to show the value to a teacher about Tinker is going to be completely different to, to a message to a parent. And then if you break parents out, it really depends on a parent of a six-year-old is going to be completely different in terms of what would resonate with them versus a parent of a 13-year-old. And so, you know, creating those different experiences, that's where AI really helps us. And and then if you take that another level, parents in the United States, because we have we have a lot of users from Australia too, it's, it's, it's again, we have to create different experiences because somebody coming from Sydney is going to be looking for uh, – something different from somebody coming from San Francisco, at least in terms of how we talk about the product. Uh, and, and so creating those, uh, well, I guess, hyper-personalized messages, yeah. in, you know, for that acquisition yeah. journey, do, do, you, do you employ AI to develop the uh, copying creative or we're just talking about the more the testing and the identification of those users and how to serve it out? Yeah, so right now um, we... We use it for serving it out, but we also are starting to apply. We want to start applying more of the the chat GPT part into, into into our offering, where we can start having the the AI sort of come up with uh, a lot of suggestions around different messages as well. For, for the most part, you know, uh, you know, it, there's there's probably hundreds of thousands of variations that are happening in the background that people don't realize. But you know, uh, once you add AI with the ability to come up with its own variations, that will take it to millions of different variations. But, you know, uh, that's the thing that excites me because, you know, I feel, you know, um, the thing that's really come out of, you know, the, um, I mean, one of the things that's really come out of this pandemic that we all gone through is that all of us become more dependent on digital. And so we've created these digital habits. And so, you know, part of those habits is that we have higher expectations with the different, um, whether it's businesses or institutions that, that we interact with. And so, you know, you know, what, what that's really used to be kind of a nice to have when it came to personalization is really a need to have. And so, you know, the better you can continue to get at really creating these hyper-local um, um, experiences, the, the, the better you're going to get about not only um, acquiring users, but also really retaining those users. And I think the, the, the wonderful thing about products like ChatGPT and, and it coming mainstream uh, is, and this is a great use case for those small business owners listening or those startups listening, as you know, and, and, and I guess that's a perfect use case for us. Yeah. You know, you've got Tinker at this end helping 60 million students and you've got Skill Samurai at this end. We're an in-person coding school, learning centres, but, uh, we, you know, we have few resources. We don't have a marketing team. We've got smaller budgets. Uh, but what it enables, and, and typically or historically with when a startup, you create one or two or five ad variations to a consumer or to a, or to a bulk and you try and throw mud at that approach 
and more sophisticated organizations would have you know 240 ad variations of creative and copy and uh, targeting and uh, all this sort of stuff here so chat gpt for those small business owners listening is a great tool and it's a great use case to you know ask it to create multiple um, ad copy variations based on these different customer types or based on the problems that these customer subsets are facing. So uh, I'm not going to say levels of playing field, but it does to some extent. So it's, it is an exciting time for startups and small businesses, right? Yeah, I think ultimately uh, my hope with AI is it's kind of like the internet, right? Because the internet really provided access to information that a lot of people didn't have. And, and, and what um, I see AI doing in tools like ChatGPT is ultimately, you know, just going to the internet, it's, it's confusing because there's so much information there. It's really helping you to personalize the piece of the internet that you need at that given moment to really answer the question that you're looking for. And so a lot of people, you know, go to search engines, whether it's Google to do this, but, you know, I, you know, I see now where people will be less, less depend on needing to go into a search engine and really going to a tool like chat GBT and other two. And this is just the first variation, but, but there's going to be so many more of these. And, and, and with anything, um, Jamie, as you know, you know, the more people that start using chat GBT, the smarter it's going to get, because it's going to be able to, to learn from everybody else using it, which is why, you know, I, I would say for any small business user out there, take advantage of it because, you know, you know, you know, not only are you um, going to benefit, but you're going to help to make it better for everybody else. Yeah, yeah, without without uh, without question. So let's get back to kids for a minute. Um, what what are some of the potential risks, uh, you know, and benefits? I suppose uh, we've talked about some of the benefits, but but mainly the risks of AI in the classroom. You know, and how can we as educators uh, or parents mitigate some of those risks? Um, I would say, you know, first and foremost, um, the risk is really we, we want to keep the data protected as much as possible, right? And, I mean, that's non-negotiable, you know, uh, that the data uh, is being handled responsibly. And, and but, but beyond that, we you know, the other part of AI is it, it's like anything. I mean, it's, it, it, it's like us as, as humans for the most part. It's like, you know, the, the more... Um, that you spend your time on, the better you'll get at that. But but and and that can be inverse too. If you spend your time doing the wrong things, you'll create the the wrong habits. And so you know you know the thing that we need to be careful about AI in education is is that we're ensuring that it's getting really good data to really train those models and that it's not over indexing. For example, if 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 it isn't um, if, if if the model isn't diversified, then it's going to end up creating outcomes that probably favor certain types or groups of people, which may not be the right outcome for other groups of people. And so, you know, I feel it's really important to ensure that um, that it's being used to create the right outcomes for every student. And, and so part of that um, kind of goes back to, like, who are building these AIs? And, and so, you know, for the most part, which is why I think you and I are so excited about getting more and more kids into STEM, because ultimately, you know, the more people that are represented at the table that are building these technologies, the more that it's going to be built to really represent everyone's interest. Yeah, yeah, that's a, a, a unique take. 
Um, so what advice could we give to parents? So uh, now flipping the table a bit here on, on how we can support our kids in developing a strong foundation in um, AI and technology and coding. What, what advice would you give to parents there? I would say, you know, kids naturally are curious, right? And, and, and so, you know, curiosity is there. It, it's really about um, helping to sort of ask them the right questions. So, you know, generally having those conversations at, at, that naturally happen when, when kids are either play. I mean, I mean, for example, kids like playing games or listening to apps. Just ask them questions around, you know, what they like about it and, you know, uh, you know, have they ever thought about how that was created and, 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 and just try to like, you know, spark that curiosity on, on, on how is that really made? And, 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 and the truth is there's so much engaging content out there, whether you go on YouTube, you can show, you can share that, you know, just, just to, just to spark that curiosity. But, you know, I, I would say for the most part, you know, it's, it's, it's just exposing kids to, all facets of technology and, and, and not, and, and just letting them sort of, you know, um, be able to, uh, to gauge that curiosity for themselves. And, uh, you know, for the most part, um, I mean, what we found in, 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 we do a lot of research on kids, it's, you know, you know, um, and, and one of the reasons why you know, the Tinker product does really well is because we've really gamified the experiences on how to teach coding. And, and so, you know, I feel the more you can kind of gamify something for kids, the more they're likely to sort of uh, be able to have fun doing it. And, 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 and that's the key part. If they have fun doing it, then they'll be more, more likely to continue to, to grow their interests in those different areas. Yeah, that's uh, that's well said. Just just giving kids the opportunity to be exposed to those things. Sometimes it's hard for parents, though, uh, particularly you know older parents who may not be in touch with tech to know what those opportunities look like. Though, you know, um, I mean, how would a you know I don't know. I just think of someone like some people in my peer group who aren't tech focused. They've got sort of young kids or preteens. Um, you know. <laughs> Where does one start to expose kids to those opportunities? Is is it just as simple as you know Google searching, signing up for some free trials, and just seeing seeing what works, or is there a resource we can suggest? Uh, maybe a broad question, but what's what? How would you help parents who maybe aren't tech focused expose their kids to these you know cool elements of uh, STEM? Yeah, I mean, I mean, I mean, I mean, I mean, I would start one place where I know a lot of kids spend a lot of time which is on YouTube, just doing a simple search around STEM and, 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 and you know, ideally, you know, uh, as a parent, I, I would do the search first and come up with, uh, you know, uh, take a look at some of that content to really see, you know, what's appropriate for kids and, and, and just start sharing some of that, you know, with them. Uh, because I know kids like, you know, you know, content, which is, which is more visual is easier for them to absorb versus something that they need to read. Initially, you know, I, I would start there. The other thing, you know, um, is just um, like if there's different museums around science, you know, you know, kids love going to that. At least my, you know, you know, you know, you know, I've taken my kids to that from from a young age, and that's kind of helped, you know, bubble up a lot of curiosity. And then the third thing is just look out for, you know, that I mean, there's a lot of platforms out there, whether it's free or paid, you know, uh, around STEM and coding. And as you said, Jamie, for the most part, it's not really just about coding. It's really around really understanding concepts and 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 what what and 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 
you know, you know, what comes out of that is at, at least at Tinker, what we found is that we've actually ended up building the world's largest uh, community of coders because there's so many kids that have got, got into this and then they start telling their friends about it. And, and, and what we find with, with new kids that generally don't really know a lot about coding that end up coming in to Tinker, the, you know, they start doing a project which obviously isn't going to be that easy when you're first starting out. But there's a huge peer support group that exists on Tinker, and so other kids start look, you know, start um, interacting and and saying, "Hey, can you help me do this or, or that?" And 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 that's how, you know, um, a lot of other kids interact together, and it ends up building this huge. A team project that ends up happening, and and you know that I feel ultimately you know kids learn best or get get into something when they know other, when they find other friends that are doing something similar, and and that community piece can either be created organically, like if you know kids at the same school that do that. Um, so one of the things that that I used to volunteer at was, 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 was sort of creating some kind of like science community project for kids, um, which was a way to get kids that were really into learning about things to, to try and do that. But, and, and if that's not offered at school, um, you can try to find a community online where we can get together with other parents. Cause the truth is, you know, all of us parents aren't going to be that super tech savvy, because technology changes all the time anyway, but but it's it's just a matter of like getting together and and finding other groups that way where where people want to go on that journey with you and 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 and, and be open to exploring. Yeah, and you you touched on a couple of great things in there, and one of the things we see certainly in our own learning centres is that coming together and and kids finding their tribe. You know, you you, you yeah. guys built an, an amazing global community, and uh, you know in terms of. We see uh, quite a large number of neurodiverse kids as well, so those uh, with ADHD uh, or autism, um, you know, who may be somewhat socially excluded in certain school circles. You know, maybe they're not the sportiest yeah. kid in school or, or, you know, they may not uh, manifest their intelligence the same way as uh, other kids in the mainstream school system. So bringing those kids together, finding their tribe, you know, these inclusive, diverse spaces. I mean, of course, I'm always advocating for coding schools, but... Yeah. The local science club, like every community has got a science club and, and they, these are great places for those kids to come together um, in an inclusive, diverse space and bring those disciplines, that science, tech, engineering and math together so that kids can uh, you know, develop those pathways, build those problem-solving skills that will serve them across every subject. It will serve them in life forever. So, um, you know, and, and I think... You know, as much as I, I love coding and online screen activities and, and making them productive, just other advice for parents too is to look at offline STEM activities. You know, Google things like, you know, uh, science experiments that we can do at home and find something that's age appropriate and get kids in the kitchen or out, outdoors, you know, creating these experiments or rockets or whatever it may be uh, to bring those disciplines together. I think it's a great thing that uh, all parents and a great way for them to encourage kids uh, to find that love of STEM. That's a really good point. And, and, and what I would add to that is um, you'd be surprised if you reach out to, like, science teachers in schools about the idea of, hey, could we maybe create like a science club or something, how open they really are to that. You know, it's, it's you know, for the most part, um, 
you know, it's, uh, you know, they, they're obviously, you know, teaching science because they're passionate about it and, and they don't really have enough resources, just like with a lot of other teachers. So, you know, having some parents sort of, you know, provide that support to help create some kind of club, you know, I'm sure a lot of them would, would be open to that idea. Yeah, you know, that that's killer. And you've touched on something else there that's really imperative is, is parents working more closely with our educators and our teachers in schools. You know, um, I often hear, um, you know, like teachers cop a lot of the, the blame, so to speak. You know, my kid's struggling at school. You know, it is not the teacher. It is the system that the teachers are bound by. You know, in Australia and the US and globally, you know, we have some of the best educators in the world, the most passionate, uh, giving, um, you know, empathetic, teachers uh, that I've ever seen um, in, in the work that I do here uh, and it's the system and if you involve yourself in the school, involve yourself in uh, that parent-teacher communication or creating those programs like science clubs, that, that's, that's a winner. So thank you for bringing that up. Uh, and, and, and I was, um, one other thing, just to echo on what you said, you know, uh, you know, we've done a lot of research too and, and, and I've read a lot of research because ultimately, you know, you know, the students that end up thriving, especially, um, you know, uh, with, with a lot of other challenges that, that tend to go on outside of school or whatever, it really comes down to that partnership that parents build with teachers because ultimately that, you know, that, that relationship is really important to really support the child from both, both sides. Yeah. 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 Well said. Well said. Uh, I want to divert course for a minute. We've, we've got a few minutes left and yeah. uh, I'm mindful of our time together. Um, uh, this is sort of maybe a little bit away from parenting and back to business, more for my own personal curiosity and for those parents with businesses out there. But as a tech entrepreneur, um, can you speak briefly about the challenges and success stories that you faced over your 20-year career in marketing technology to kids and to consumer buyers? Let's delve into some of that cool marketing stuff, some of the wins and, and uh, you know maybe the challenges you've had along the way. I, w I would say, you know, the, uh, the challenges with, with marketing to kids or marketing to anyone when it comes down to uh, really understanding who your customer is, and and and, and the truth is, um, you know, who your customer may be when we in the early stages of of your company is going to evolve as your company continues to grow, and and and, and you and, and you're going after a bigger um, a, a, a a bigger piece of the market, or or, or broadening the appeal of of of, of who you need to go after to grow that business. So, you know, the, the, so what I would say is, it, it kind of comes, my, my whole philosophy, it's not just with business, but it's with life too. You know, the, I, I would say the real key skill is really to learn, unlearn and relearn as much as possible. So pretty much what you're learning at certain stages of growing your business or where you are in life, you're going to have to unlearn some of those things because what got you to where you were is going to have to be different to get you to that next level. And, and you're going to have to relearn new, um, new skills or new ways of approaching uh, um, ideas on, on, on growing a business. And so the, the challenge to marketing to kids for the most part is that you can't really market directly to kids. And so it really comes down to marketing to people that can really help influence kids. And so for us, you know, you know, the two key stakeholders, first and foremost, are parents, and then it's the teachers. And so the question is, 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 is how can you get better at creating partnerships with both those audiences? And, you know, the better you can, you can create relationships, 
with both those audiences and 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 ultimately create this community with with both those then the, the more successful you're going to get with 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 helping to influence the the kids the other thing that we found at least you know in terms of marketing the kids is to really figure out you know kids for the most part like to do things that are fun and so you know um as an example you know at tinker you know, you know, you know, you know, a big part of what we do is offer a whole slew of things around helping kids learn how to code from basic um, code, uh, basic building blocks around coding to really learning text based languages like Java and Python. But ultimately, we gamify it because we sort of, you know, make it into projects where kids can learn how to um, learn AI and machine learning and how that applies and how they learn. Uh, doing projects around creating apps or creating different um, uh, projects around music. And and one other project that a lot of kids love doing on Tinker is all around Minecraft. So we get so many, we get millions of kids that come into to Tinker to really learn how to modify their different Minecraft uh, creations and then put that back into Minecraft. And so, you know, what we've tried to do is make it really easy for kids to to discover Tinker if uh, whenever they're searching on Google for things around Minecraft or whenever they're on YouTube looking for videos on how to do things around Minecraft and 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 and, and there's a really strong chance that they will see something about Tinker show up pretty pretty early on in that search and that will lead them into Tinker where they'll be able to to get exposed to all these easy tools that um fun and easy tools that we offer them to really create these these different creations around um minecraft and but you know once they create those projects then they have to create an account to save the project and at that stage you know that's that's when we ask them to to give us their parents email address because then the parent can provide the permission for the child to create a tinker account and that's how we um you know indirectly are able to market the kids, uh, and 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 we look for other creative ways like that, where how kids are searching for things, and and what are what are fun projects or or things that we can offer free for kids to really get them to really learn about Tinker, and then you know uh, get them to bring and tell their parents about Tinker to to create those accounts for us. Yes, yeah, great. It's it's, it's a uh, unique perspective from that bottom-up approach as opposed yeah. to that top-down parent or yeah. um, teacher-driven teacher approach. Uh, you know, and, and for parents who are listening who maybe aren't, aren't business people or aren't marketers, you know, uh, we talk a lot about coding, but it really is, um, particularly if you're struggling with your child, uh, we'll call it tech addiction or too much screen time, coding is really uh, just a, a neat way, it's a healthy way to get kids, while still on screens, um, uh, getting them to have a healthier relationship with technology, to be less distracted by technology and to be, you know, be more creators as opposed to consumers that you said at the beginning of the show. So, uh, yeah, don't, don't discount coding. Parents, get into it and uh, get, get your children into it uh, if you can. Um, okay, so uh, on a lighter note, just to sort of round things off, uh, one question, well, a couple of questions I'd like to ask. Is there anything that um, perhaps I didn't ask but should have asked uh, in today's discussion, Lomit? Those are always good questions, right? <laughs> um, I mean, what I will, what I will say is... Um, because I know you and I have a shared passion around STEM and coding, but 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 I think you know hopefully this comes across to anybody who's listened to this show wherever they are in the world that you know coding is something that can unite everyone, right? 
and it's it's really a unified. It's just like speaking a language, like you know, Jamie and I are speaking English right now, or the American English and then the Australian English. But but the truth is, you know, you know, uh, you know, everyone, you know, um, you know, what we found is that you know that that the sooner you can get kids exposed to coding, the the more they're going to be able to really create a love of learning for for coding. And then the second part. You know, regardless of 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 whatever you know uh, your your kids are you know um, interested in or not, the other skill that I would sort of put put out there is that in this day and age, especially with how technology continues to disrupt so many things, the future of work isn't really set or defined as being in a certain way. It's going to continue to evolve. Like what I, you know, uh, learned when I came out of university isn't necessarily what I'm doing today. I've had to learn and grow uh, along the way. And so, you know, the biggest uh, thing that I would sort of encourage everyone to be is just be a lifelong learner. You know, just continue to be curious and, and just continue to be a lifelong learner because, you know, um, and, that, that, and, and, and by just embracing being a lifelong learner, you get less um, um, hung up on sort of the outcomes of what you're looking to go to and you really just start enjoying the journey around just learning new things and and as you start learning and, and loving doing new things you'll naturally get to the outcomes that you that you want to get to which is ultimately uh to uh to to be able to to, to create skills that will enable you to be able to live a good life yeah and then that to, to me is one of the core responsibilities of a parent. If you can uh, help your child develop that love of lifelong learning, uh, in my view, you've done your job as a parent. And uh, it's not it's easier said than done, but that's something that we always strive for as parents. Um, a bit of a fun one to, to start to wrap up is uh, if you're able to go back in time and to give your 10-year-old self one piece of advice, Lomit, what would that piece of advice be? So I think I touched on it, but pretty much be a lifelong learner. Uh, I, because what I found is that, you know, uh, you know, looking back at my career, you know, you know, the biggest success really came from from really learning, unlearning, and relearning uh, new ways of doing things. Because you know, uh, ultimately, when you, when you look at life. You know, you know, there's there's things that aren't really going to necessarily change that much, but the way you approach uh, making those things better for people is, is is where you add value, and and so, you know, as a parent, for example, and, I, and I'll take take myself as an example, I, I couldn't necessarily sort of parent my kids the same way that my parents parented me because that that style isn't necessarily going to work t- today. So I, I've had to adopt and, and evolve kind of my parenting style, and it's more around kind of being more engaged and, and really having those conversations where where kids feel like they're part of the part of the decision making process as opposed to just being told, you know, um, top down in terms of what they need to do. Because yeah. ultimately that builds the confidence in them, you know, um, when they go into uh, whatever careers that they end up going into, where they have the confidence to speak up and have engaging um, conversations to really solve problems and get to an outcome versus just sort of being on the receiving end of just being told what to do. And, um, you know, what I will say is, you know, that, you know, in order to really be successful, 
in your career, depending on, on how you define that. But, but you know, if you really want to kind of get to, to the sea level, you know, it ultimately it comes to less about all of the hard skills like coding or whatever that you may know. But it's but it's a it's a blend of that as well as really having the soft skills around how do you influence people, how do you communicate, how how, how do you connect with people, and and you know those are the things that really start off you know uh, to a large extent on 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 the relationship that kids have with their parents. If parents engage their kids early on, they will build those um, soft skills and the confidence. As, as they grow up and, and those are the skills that will that will take them far in life yeah yeah well, well said Loman and, and kids model stuff that they they, yeah. they will model your behavior and uh, your values and uh, so it's important for us to lead by example um, so uh, where can listeners find you online those who want to connect uh, or learn more about you uh, learn more about tinker um, uh, where, where how can we find you yeah the best place Best place to connect with me um, is on LinkedIn. If anybody goes to LinkedIn and just search for my name, Lamit, uh, L-R-M-I-T, Patel, P-A-T-E-L, uh, I'm always putting out a lot of content there around education, uh, around um, growing startups. So, you know, feel free to reach out to me. You know, if, if anyone has any questions, you know, I always try to, like, get, get back to people. I have my own personal blog as well. So that's another place where you can see a lot of my articles. Um, it's pretty much my name, Lomit, L-O-M-I-T-P-A-T-E-L.com. Uh, outside of those two places, uh, yeah, I would definitely encourage people. You know, if 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 you have kids that that are interested in coding and want to get access to free resources, go check out Tinker.com. You know, you you can you know you know we do have a free offering, so a lot of people get started that way, uh, just to spark that curiosity in their kids. So, t y n k e r dot com. Fantastic. Lomit, thank you so much for your insight, your generosity today. I know that uh, I certainly got a lot out of it. I know our listeners as parents and, and those business people got a lot out of today's discussion. Um, thanks again for your time. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. You're welcome. Cheers. Bye for now. Bye. If you enjoyed the show, please connect with Jamie on LinkedIn or Instagram. You'll find links in the podcast description. Parenting in the Digital Age is sponsored by Skill Samurai, coding and STEM academy for kids. Skill Samurai offers after-school coding classes and holiday programs to help kids thrive academically and socially while preparing them for the careers of the future. Visit skillsamurai.com.au.